it's figuring out how to take that landscape in front of you and simplify it sufficiently uh, that it makes a compelling photograph, but without simplifying it so much that it becomes overly minimalist and, and, and less interesting, I suppose. That's what I'm always trying to do. That was 2022 UK Landscape Photographer of the Year, Will Davis. Welcome to the Viewfinders Photography Podcast, where we discuss the art, craft and profession of photography with some of the best photographers from around the world. I'm your host, Graham Dargy. I'm a professional photographer coming to you from the Granite City, Aberdeen in Scotland. Welcome. I hope you're keeping well. What a week here. I had a day shooting for a software company here in Aberdeen last week. So 24, 25 candid headshots in the morning. And now there's a way I can set things up that gives me the control of a studio style shot, but also allows for spontaneous moments and expressions to happen. Um, Great company, lovely people, nice big space to work in. So yeah, I did the headshots in the morning. And in the afternoon, I did corporate culture shots around the office uh, with team members working together, you know, the kind of business team photos you see on stock photography websites, but in-house for this specific company. So, yeah, again, you create scenarios that are authentic to what the business does. So it could be people in a meeting or working on a laptop or whatever. And you set that up in a way that allows control for the lighting and the setup but also room for spontaneous things to happen. Also, I had three smaller jobs this week on Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday, so lots of working and a bit of play too. We went to see Angelique Kijo in concert here in Aberdeen the other night. She's one of the biggest acts in Africa, five times Grammy winner, and she was just fantastic. What an amazing lady. So that's what's been happening here. How about you? How's your photography going? I'd love to find out, so why not connect with me on Instagram at Viewfinders Podcast. You can also check out the website viewfinderslive.com where you can find previous episodes with incredible guests like Paul Sanders, Kai Hornung, Dylan Ardini and many, many more leading photographers from around the world. While you're there, you can find out about upcoming Viewfinders Live events. Visit the brand new Viewfinders bookshop And if you're feeling a bit stuck with your photography, then you could book a one-to-one coaching session with me. Okay, one more thing. If you're a regular listener, you'll have noticed that the Viewfinders music has changed. Uh, This is something I've been thinking about for a while. When I started the podcast, I put a lot of thought into how the music should be. And the music I chose really reflected where I was at the time, two and a half years ago. The main part of my business was photography tuition and tours, which included safaris in Kenya. And the music with its African vibe really felt right to me at the time. For one reason or another, I'm in a completely different place now, two and a half years later. And as much as I love the original Viewfinders music, it just wasn't reflecting where I am in my career and life today and where things are going. So after 50 episodes, it felt like as good a time as any to make the change. So just wanted to acknowledge that and let you know what's up with that. I hope it doesn't affect your enjoyment of the show. I definitely love that old music, but I really like the new music too. So drop me a line. I'd love to know what you think. All right. My guest today is the 2022 UK Landscape Photographer of the Year, Will Davis. Will first got a camera in his mid-twenties, but he really got the photography bug when he moved to Ethiopia in 2007. The sights of the African people, landscape and wildlife captured Will's imagination and he spent his weekends exploring the country with his camera. Landscape photography entered the picture when Will moved back to the UK and with his first entry to the competition, Will won the 2022 UK Landscape Photography of the Year competition. In a wide-ranging conversation, we talk about what it's like to win the Landscape Photographer of the Year. We talk about Will's landscape photography approach and techniques and his other photography experiences from the plains of Africa to the beaches of Iceland. So plug in, relax and enjoy my conversation with Will Davies. Will Davis, welcome to the Viewfinders Photography Podcast. How are you? Very good, Graham. How are you doing today? 
Yeah, good thanks. Thank you for your time. Really looking forward to talking to you. Yeah, obviously you're the UK Landscape Photographer of the Year, which is quite an accolade. And then uh, really, you know, looking through your work, just beautiful, classic landscapes, great locations, and uh, lovely, nice technique. And then you've got this sort of African side of your work as well. So I'm sure there's plenty for us to get into. But yeah, Landscape Photographer of the Year. How did you receive that news and you know, how did that feel? So I, well, I think it's a bit of a tradition. You, you get a call from uh, the founder of the competition, Charlie Waite, uh, if, if you win. Um, but uh, actually, he didn't have, my, didn't have the right number for me. So he called uh, <laughs> the, the landline at my mum's house. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, she gave me a call uh, a little bit later and said, some guy called Charlie Waite's been uh, trying to get hold of you. So um, with that, I had a bit of a suspicion it might be good news, but I, I didn't quite realize, uh, you know, how good news uh, it would be. And obviously immediately gave him uh, a call back and uh, uh, and we had a chat and, and yeah, he let me know that, that I'd won, um, which was, you know, complete shock. Uh, it was actually, I mean, I'd followed the competition for, for a while uh, and uh, always been, you know, always loved going through the, the winning images and um, always hoped, you know, one day I'd have photos good enough to enter, but I hadn't spent a lot of time in the UK, so I, I never really had a, a, a you know, a, a kind of big enough portfolio of, of UK images to, to warrant entering and, until the year that I that I did enter. And, uh, and so, you know, to, to, to be able to win it first time was, I mean, a, a real shock and I think, you know, a little bit lucky, I guess, as well. Well, so I wouldn't want to like overstate it, but I know Charlie a little bit and um, just I did an event with him in Aberdeen a few years ago before, um, you know, the pandemic and everything. So I decided it would be a good idea to take photographers up here and do like an event, like, a, like an evening with kind of thing. And um, thinking about it now, it seems completely insane because all the overhead and risk was on me. And uh, we got I got Charlie to come up and fly, flew him up, and he's got a decent fee for his, uh, you know, for his speaker's fee. We sold 165 tickets, and it was really an amazing event. So that's my Charlie Wake connection. But having spent the little time that I did with him, lovely, lovely man, I loved Charlie. Um, how, what did he say to you? Like, because I, I will never receive this call from Charlie Wake. What did they say to you when you win the competition? <laughs> uh well you never know you never know hopefully it keeps going for a while at this competition uh so i, I will actually uh, another coincidence it was uh it was my birthday that day which he'd found out uh having uh spoken to to my mum earlier um whose uh birthday also was that day so uh it was quite uh quite a coincidence i don't think he knew but uh, he'd found out so uh he he started by wishing me happy birthday and uh and then uh, i'd actually had two photos shortlisted so um you know i was uh i was also interested to find out you know which one i had no idea uh you know which one might have been successful and um yeah he just started talking about uh the the photo and and you know uh what the judges had thought of it and 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 you know why they'd liked it and uh that's really about all i remember i think you know we we got chatting about uh, a few other things but it was it was a bit of a blur uh, you're just uh, <laughs> you're trying trying to process it, I, I suppose. Uh, yeah. But yeah, indeed, a, a lovely guy, and I, I met him also in person then at the awards event that they they ho- uh, hold, I think, most years uh, down in London, uh, and okay. so got the chance to to chat to him then, and it was a, a lovely event and a great chance to also meet many other photographers, which actually has been one of the nicest things I think about this is uh, you know building a, a few connections and, and getting to know some some other people in the UK. Uh, uh, photography world and particularly other landscape photography fanatics yeah yeah that is nice one of the things I like about doing the podcast is you know you, you'd have a chat with a photographer it's a different chat than you can have with someone who's not a photographer you know because we get so into this um, so yeah let's go into the, the photograph then just obviously people are listening do you want to describe the picture um, that won the Landscape Photographer of the Year and um, just tell us about the experience that you had there. 
Yeah, so the photo, it's uh, of the Brecon Beacons, uh, and it's, I think, one of the nice things about it. It's right at that kind of point of transition between the autumn and, and winter. So it's, mm. uh, it's a shot out early morning um, from, uh, and I, I'm going to uh, show my uh, horrible Welsh, even though I'm from Wales, my Welsh pronunciation isn't <laughs> great, but it's the, the Penigrig uh, Hill Fort. Uh, it's not spelt like that at all, but uh, uh, if anyone wants to look it up, it's P-E-N-Y-C-R-U-G Hill Fort, which is this spectacular spot that has, it's not very high, but it has a 360 degree view around, you know, some of the biggest uh, um, mountains in, in the Brecon Beacons. So it's a, a fantastic spot um, for photography. And early in the morning, you know, the, on a good day, the light just kind of, particularly in winter, comes through very low and starts mm. lighting up some of the fields. And that particular morning, you've got the sunlight hitting uh, the fields in the foreground, which are just kind of coming out of some frost. It had been a, a cold uh, few days. I think it was mid, um, mid-December. Um, so, you know, again, at that, the, the start of winter. Um, and then you go from the light hitting the fields in the foreground to some autumn colors in the trees just, just fading. Uh, and then going back into the, the mountains, which were still surrounded by, by cloud and a little bit of snow. Um, it had been the first, which was actually the part of the reason I, you know, I went out. It, this, the first uh, snow had fallen in the mountains that year. So, you know, always adds a little bit of uh, something to the opportunities for, for landscape photography. Um, and it's taken with a long lens. So if, if you were to go there, you know, you, it, the, the, the hills would, would look probably a lot further away than they do in the, the photograph. But mm-hmm. with a long lens, you get that compression. And so, you know, it all kind of closes up i suppose the 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 scene and uh um maybe gives it a little bit of extra kind of scale and, and drama I, I i hope um yeah. yeah so that was that was brecon in winter as it was called yeah it's it obviously it's a really really nice shot and my eye goes to the foreground you know that bright you know warmth in the foreground i guess uh with the three trees there and I guess because of the long lens, you're not the foreground, the bottom of the image. It's not that close to where you are, I guess. And then, yeah, the other, the the next sort of range of the fields is still in frost. It's quite interesting, isn't it? Because you, it's unusual to see that in one image where there's one area that's warm and the next area is kind of colder. And then obviously the snow on the peak in the background sort of even gets colder as it goes through the image, doesn't it? Yeah, and actually, I, I hadn't really realized this at the time when the image won, but uh, going back through my files, I realized I'd actually been in exactly the same spot the day before. Uh, and uh, so I'd realized I wasn't going back for that specific photo, but I'd realized that those uh, those fields, because of the way they were angled and the way the mountains are, uh, are shaped, they get the light, uh, you know, before that that background valley uh, which stays yeah. in in you know in the dark for uh, quite a bit longer so you know the, it was kind of uh, the day before actually the, the the clouds hadn't cleared in time and so the light never really broke through and it didn't come together but i kind of had that concept that there was this you know this opportunity with that particular scene um, mm-hmm. because of the way the light fell and but obviously got very lucky that it that it came together as it did and, and that the, there was that snow and you know that kind of uh storm clearing in the background that that added an extra dimension yeah so did you have a feeling at the time that you got a a special image uh i mean i certainly knew it was a a a nice image and one that i personally really liked but i would i would never say it was you know when i when i took it or, or even afterwards i said would have said you know that is the one image that has a chance of you know winning the landscape uh photography photographer of the year no uh there were there were others that you know i I equally liked uh, that i entered that you know didn't didn't go anywhere so Mm -hmm. (laughs) i guess that the moral for other people listening is you know i guess you've just gotta gotta give it a shot you know with what you think is your best work and and hope that the judging is on your side Obviously now maybe I like it even more, but <laughs> I uh, I there's there's now a built-in bias, right? Uh, yeah, for sure. But you know, it's easy for us as photographers to think you know there's another way or someone else's way is better. But does with, with this, does it validate you? Does it galvanize you? Does it give you confidence to say, okay, actually, 
the way I see things, the way I do it my way, does it give you more permission to do things your way? Oh, for sure. I think, I mean, it certainly, uh, it's been hugely motivating uh, for me to, and I, I think I've, I've got out a lot more since, not, not that I didn't do much photography before, but, you know, there's been that added, added motivation and, um, yeah, and a bit, maybe a bit more, you know, confidence to, uh, look at opportunities to get, you know, my, my photographs out a bit more publicly. I think, you know, before I was really doing it primarily for myself and, and, you know, so I didn't, uh, didn't put a lot of effort into, you know, where the photos would, would go or, you know, opportunities to, to get them out in, in the public space. And, and so, yes, this certainly has motivated me more on, on that front. Um, yeah. And then in the aftermath of winning, has, how has it changed your world in any way or in a practical way or has it opened up some doors or made some connections? You kind of alluded to that before. How have things changed for you since you won that? Yeah, so for, I mean, on the exhibition, firstly, they uh, the the primary uh, you know forum for the the uh, display of the winning images is uh, in the major train stations throughout England and Scotland. Um, so it's Network Rail is one of the uh, the I think one of the major sponsors, and and so they they move the exhibition around. The, you know, it started in Paddington and then I think gradually progressed north. Um, I'm not sure where it is at the moment, but I, I know it's been through Scotland because I had a, a cousin who shared a photo of it uh, when she was passing through either Glasgow or, or Edinburgh train station. So I think that's nice. It gets a lot of uh, coverage, right? I mean, a lot of people moving through train stations and, and you don't have to pay for it. You know, it's it's just there on the platforms and, and for everyone to see. So I, I think that's a, a nice forum. Um, hopefully we'll get it to Wales uh, in the future. Uh, right now it's England and Scotland, which I guess is linked to Network Rail's uh, okay. own kind of uh, network. But uh, one thing I, I have uh, spoken to the team about, I think maybe we'll look in future years if you know I could help uh, get the exhibition over to Wales because that would be nice. Because not yeah. not just the Brecon in winter, there was uh, I think four or five uh, really good uh, photos uh, that uh, that did, did really well uh, in this year's competition. So be nice to add that uh and then in terms of how it's changed uh things yeah i mean certainly it's opened up uh interest and i've got all kinds of different inquiries from uh, from students and teachers looking to you know do little interviews or snippets or or just uh you know uh, uh find out more about uh uh, the the photo and, and and my photography to some magazine interviews um, yourself <laughs> reaching out uh, I created a website which I suppose has kind of been underlying a lot of that I, I didn't have a website before um, okay. and uh, yeah I mean from otherwise uh, otherwise I'd say you know uh, it hasn't changed anything dramatically I, I still you know photography for me has always been a, a hobby uh, and something I do for fun and I, I wouldn't want to change that. So, um, I still want to focus most of my time that what limited time I do have on being able to get out and actually take photos as opposed to, you know, the, the kind of the, I guess the, what comes with it when you're trying to maybe become more established or commercial. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. I don't have any pressure to do any of that. It's really just kind of taking the opportunities that, um, are interesting and, and, and that open doors. Uh, for, for me yeah yeah and uh, it's a bit indelicate but what did you do with the prize money <laughs> well as i mentioned at the beginning we're doing a house extension uh so actually it, it's a bit of a boring answer but it, it kind of just got sunk into the uh the the general cost of of that which had already gone uh, a lot above what we were originally planning so okay. um, ah, but no on a, on a slightly more interesting note i did actually buy myself a drone uh ah, okay. for the first time uh, which I might not have done otherwise, but uh, I did want to, uh, uh, I felt like that was an area I'd in, I'm interested in experimenting in. And uh, I've only been out uh, briefly so far. I picked that up back in January, but looking forward to uh, exploring and experimenting a bit more with that, uh, uh, you know, in, in, the, in the months to come. Let's jump back in time. Um... I wonder if if cameras were part of your life when you were growing up. Were there early signs that you were 
future landscape photographer of the year? Uh, not, not really. My dad uh, was uh, actually a pretty good uh, photographer when he didn't spend a lot of time taking photos. But you know, every now and then he'd he'd get his camera out, and there were one or two shots uh, around the the house that you know were the, on from his travels that uh, that were pr- really pretty good. So, um, but not no for me not not really. I I remember once uh, developing a whole film of photos of pigeons i try to photograph in the garden and you know not realizing that they don't really look that great when they're about 100 <laughs> meters away and you've got you know, <laughs> a point and shoot um so that was kind of disappointing and I, that's about all i really remember of uh, uh <laughs> photography yeah. before uh, uh the age of uh or into my 20s really i think it was when the the whole dslr revolution happened just okay. coincided with you know when i had enough money to buy a first camera Mm-hmm. Um, and was having the opportunity to travel a bit then. And, uh, and so, yeah, that was more like when I was kind of 25, 26 and mm-hmm. got a camera and took it on a few trips and suddenly realized, I think like a lot of people at that time, that wow, I can, you know, actually take half decent photos and get this instant feedback and not have to trek to process, you know, uh, hundreds of, uh, of, of films for, you know, maybe one half decent photo every now and then. Yeah, so, yeah. um, so it was, it, it wasn't till then really that I, that I got into, um, photography and it wasn't even landscapes particularly. It was more just taking a camera on travels and, and just trying to, you know, start by capturing a little bit of, you know, what I found, um, interesting or beautiful in, you know, in the places that I was seeing. And, uh, I guess like most people probably, uh, how, how a lot of people start out. So I read on your website that you discovered your passion for photography after moving to East Africa in 2007. So may I ask what brought you out there and what was it, do you think about that location that really fired you up with the photography? Yeah, so it was particularly then, I, you know, I'd had the camera for a year or two before that, but I moved to Ethiopia actually in 2007. I got an opportunity to work for the government of Ethiopia through a scheme that was funded by the British government at the time, particularly for economists to go and help work with developing country governments, um, which was a fantastic opportunity. And, and, you know, Ethiopia, for those who've had the chance to to go or, or see photos, I mean, it's just a spectacular country. The landscapes, um, the wildlife to some degree i mean it's not got the kind of the the scale of wildlife perhaps as some other countries in east africa but i mean it's uh, the i think the average height in ethiopia is about 3000 meters got these amazing mountain scenes and um you know at the time it was a country that i suppose you know was in, in the media people associated with you know uh, the 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 issues they'd had with the famine in the 1980s and a lot of you know charity related uh, activities and and so forth and, and and you know actually it's there's this incredible uh, vibrant culture and uh, amazing historical sites I mean uh, churches in, from the 12th century that have been carved out of stone in the ground I mean just these yeah. things and you wanted to kind of showcase the country in a bit more of a, or to show people what was there and what you were, what I was seeing. And, mm-hmm. and, and so that really became, I think, the time when I went from just having a camera with me to actually going out and with the primary purpose of photography, which I, I suppose was a, a bit of a shift. Uh, okay. you know, and I had, to, I had the time then. I was, you know, uh, no, no kids back then. So, you know, every weekend that I had free, I could go out with, into the countryside and, and travel within Ethiopia. And it was, uh, yeah, I mean, hard not to take some some you know, half decent photos. Yeah, so like it's an office kind of job, or were you getting out with work to see the country, or that was just a weekend thing? Yeah, well, I was mostly in Addis. Uh, I mean, I was uh, I was getting the few opportunities to travel around as well. Um, but no, it was mostly in Addis. But then, you know, being new to the country. At, when I got holidays, I'd travel within the country, and yeah. um, and when visitors came, you know, you'd take them out, and so I got a lot of chances to to get out and, and see the uh, see the country as well. Yeah, my wife comes from Kenya. About a few years ago, I was mainly doing tuition based around landscape photography, and um, the next thing was to do a safari because we had the you know contacts and had the experience. You know, I'm not a wildlife photographer, but 
you know, I felt I had enough connections and experience to do that. So we did, and I brought a group of uh, five people out with me. And like you were saying, their perceptions of what it was going to be like, or what the country was going to be like, Kenya, was one thing. But when we actually were there, people were just blown away by how green it is, how lush it is, um, and that kind of thing. So... I think that yeah. ties into what you were saying as well. It just there's a perception, and then there's actually on the ground. It can really be a different experience. That's right, and I think maybe even more so in the case of Ethiopia because it yeah. didn't have quite the history of tourism that places like Kenya and Tanzania have. Yeah. Um, and so you know, even when I was there, it was amazing how little photography there was even within Ethiopia of you know the rest of being in Addis. You know, you you rarely saw good photos of. The rest of the country and and so you know i felt like there was clearly a gap um uh you know i wish <laughs> wish i knew a bit more about photography uh back then and had been able to do more to help fill that gap i, I think now you see i think it's been a bit more discovered you have seen a few good wildlife photographers who you know have taken some wonderful photos of uh, of ethiopia so you know yeah. certainly some people know it's there now yeah. um but uh yeah what were you drawn to then phot photographically in Ethiopia particularly? Was it like the historical sites or what kind of thing was really grabbing you? Yeah, I think, like I said, I mean, first of all, it was just kind of a, uh, an extension of travel photography. But I think quickly I realized that what I really liked was uh, what I'd always liked was being out in nature, uh, you know, being particularly the, being out in the mountains um you know being in the national parks uh, seeing the, you know, the 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 wildlife of course uh you know is 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 so uh uh so dramatic uh in that part of the world and you know so different to everything that we get uh back it back in the UK so it was particularly the wildlife and the, the landscape photography um i know a lot of people would travel to ethiopia for you know the amazing um uh people and uh, that that you get and there are some indigenous tribes in the south that you know still live very very traditionally mm -hmm. um for me I, I i don't know i never felt as comfortable with that side of uh photography and not that uh there's anything wrong with it but just you know i yeah i i just i'm less of a people photographer in general i think and much more of a nature photographer that's yeah. just always been my my interest and uh, and what I love and, and what I enjoy. And I think, you know, it's always best to focus on, on what you enjoy. That's what you're going to be good at. Yeah. So are you able to do much wildlife or safari photography in, in Ethiopia? Or do you really need to go to uh, Kenya, Tanzania for that? There's some. There's the, the, the There are these Galada baboons that live on the cliffs up in the Simeon Mountains, which oh, yeah. gives you a wonderful opportunity actually to combine both because... You've got, and they're very relaxed. You know, you can you can walk, uh, practically walk up to them, um, and they just sit around on the cliff tops. You know, like they're posing for photos half the time because, and there's you know a thousand meter drop behind them with you know this landscape that just stretches on forever. So that was really fun. Uh, I mean, that those were just kind of photos that were quite easy. You know, actually, uh, as as photography goes, um, that was I think probably the highlight. Otherwise, there are some national parks there, but but there is not it's it's a country that became quite heavily populated and and uh, i guess agriculture took over at an earlier stage uh than than other parts of the uh the region um so there there aren't the national parks quite on this on the sides i mean the simian mountains that is one and there's another one the bali mountains in, in southern ethiopia um but not quite on the scale of perhaps what you have in in kenya or tanzania so yeah, you do have a, a quite a bit of safari photography. Set the scene then. If you're going to do wildlife photography in a national park in let's say the Maasai Mara, what's it like? I mean, just for people who haven't been out there, set the scene. What what's a day like, and how do you get into it photographically on a safari? Yeah, for I think for me the first thing that I love about it is the anticipation. I mean, somewhere like the Maasai Mara, every single day is different. You know, you, you, every time you go out, there's a great opportunity. You're going to see something interesting, and you have no idea what it's going to be. So you know, there's that sense of anticipation and excitement mm -hmm. that comes with it. And you know, in a way, I guess somewhat similar to landscape photography. You know, you're always hoping that 
today's the day you're going to get that one, you know, truly spectacular photo. And uh, but it's uh, you know it's it's I suppose it's more of a um, you know the thrill of the chase in a way with uh, with wildlife photography in, in the sense that you know it's you're you're kind of constantly searching for that. Um, you know that that perfect opportunity. So, what's a, a day like? I mean, I suppose you go out uh, uh, before uh, before sunrise, or as early as you're allowed. You know, some of the national parks will restrict uh, driving in 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 the dark. Uh, so, you know, maybe six in the morning, head out, uh, and you know, really, it's those first few hours and the last few hours of the day, uh, the golden hours, uh, if you like. Um, again very similar to landscape photography um, but in Africa when you're on the equator you know it's it's very there's that uh, consistency year-round right it's the first few hours of the day and, and the last few when the light is best um, and when yeah. you know more and also when the animals are most active um, so you know really trying to find interesting things uh, during that during those times uh, and when the animals are on the move you know, uh, I guess that's also when it's most exciting because anything can happen, you know, unexpected, uh, whether you seeing get the opportunity to see animals hunting or, uh, or, or whatever it might be. Um, yeah, and uh, I suppose then you've got a long downtime in the middle of the day where, you know, you might as well put your feet up and read a book or, uh, you know, what, whatever, it, whatever it might be. I, I would spend a lot of time in the car. I think that's maybe one of the healthier things about landscape photography. You, you get a bit more exercise. Uh, one of the downsides of uh, I found with uh, I definitely packed on a few pounds uh, during the time I, I didn't mention, but I moved down to Kenya after Ethiopia and uh, and that's okay. where, you know, a lot of my wildlife photography uh, uh, came from, uh, okay. having the opportunity to go to places like the Masai Mara <clears throat> on the weekend. And But, yeah, it wasn't the most, uh, uh, wasn't the greatest for your exercise regime, <laughs> put yeah, it that way. Yeah, and then the food in the camp as well. So That's right. So, yeah, so Masai Mara is an incredible place. I mean, I always tell people it's just like the start of the Lion King. It's exactly like that. Um, but when you've got, I haven't seen the migration. Um, I saw that you've got some shots of that. So, you know, I always say like photography can can show you what it looks like, but there are other sensory elements that can't come through the camera, like smell and just the kind of feel of being around the animals. Can you describe that when you were talking about the amount of animals in the migration? Yeah, yeah. It's actually uh, I found it surprisingly hard to photograph because you have this you have this huge migration. But you know, before uh, I the first time I saw it, I pictured you know that there would just be these tens of thousands of animals all clustered together. You know, was one kind of train crossing the countryside, and it's, it's not like that at all. It's the you know actually the the wildebeest migration is hundreds and hundreds of smaller herds all moving spread out um you know and 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 that can make it really difficult to photograph because right. you don't get that kind of uh, you know you want to show the sense of scale and be able to p portray that because when you look across the landscape you know there are tens sometimes hundred thousand animals but they're never all in the one uh, in the one scene right, right? Uh, but occasionally particularly on the around the rivers you'll get this clustering effect and and with the famous river crossing of course uh, um, which it took me about 15 trips to the Masai Mara I think before I finally saw it right. um, partly due to my own you know inexperience and <laughs> not knowing when to go or, or where but uh, that that was that was quite amazing yeah the one downside is it does coincide with the high uh, the highest uh, tourist season yeah. in Kenya which is July August so you know it can be uh, as much a migration of safari vehicles at, at times um, which is, I think, one of the big challenges with it's become, it is such an amazing place, the Masai Mara, uh, that everyone wants to see it, understandably. Um, but that does come with pressure of, uh, you know, a lot of tourism. Mm -hmm. uh, and you see that particularly in, in the high season. So in a way, my favorite time to be there sometimes was, you know, on a, uh, in February or, or March, you know, when, when it's much quieter yeah. and, and, you know, you don't have that kind of, that kind of pressure of, uh, uh, of people on the park. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. But of course, to see the migration, obviously there are more people there. But um, I think for, for for a better experience or more personal or less personalized experience, out of season is probably better. Anyway, okay. So in terms of photography in safari, apart from 
you know, camera settings and technique, what kind of skills or attributes, because we, we can find out what the techniques are, but what are the attributes that a, a photographer needs to do a good job uh, with wildlife safari photography? Yeah, unfortunately, I have to say one of the differentiators is the equipment, more uh, particularly so with wildlife photography, mm-hmm. just because, you know, these great big long lenses, uh, which unfortunately are about the most expensive thing you can you can buy <laughs> when it comes to photography equipment, uh, is sometimes the differentiator. You know, so when you see the these real pros and what they're able to capture. Uh, I'm not saying all of it is equipment, but, but part of it is mm-hmm. is that. Um, you know, certainly when I was starting out and I had the the old you know hundred to three hundred mils zoom that was you know two hundred dollars or whatever it was, it was it was a lot more difficult. Yeah. Uh, you, you you can still get a great photo every now and then, but it's but it's harder. Um, so so that's that's one aspect. Um, I, I think I suppose the parallels with with wildlife photography, the light uh, is often, you know, the the difference between a, a, an okay and a great photo. So, you know, knowing when to be out and getting in the right place at the right time, uh, and 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 knowing where you're going. So, you know, I I spent a lot of trips driving around in circles, right. um, you know, just thinking I'd stumble across something mm-hmm. uh, interesting, and and you know, and ultimately being a bit disappointed once i realized you know how much knowledge the locals had um and and how much i mean just the ability to spot wildlife yeah. amongst the you know the maasai population who live there it's quite remarkable so yeah. you know once i uh, once i realized that you know having a, a good guide with you uh who can you know know where to get you somewhere uh to, to get you in the good spots you know before that that perfect light hits is is crucially important um, so otherwise I think that the big challenge, it's, it's moving into the technique side of things, but, um, you know, when you are shooting very long lenses, uh, being able to stabilize, uh, but also have the flexibility to be mobile because the animals are moving, right? So you, you know, you try fix tripods become, and especially when you're in a vehicle become complicated. Mm-hmm. So you, know, you see a lot of good photographers using bean bags and these kinds of things, which give them some stability, but also the flexibility to be able to move the camera quickly uh, and, uh, uh, and be able to react. But uh, I think certainly I, you know, I, I, I missed a lot of opportunities uh through you know shutter uh, shutter vibrations i would say uh, uh in my early days uh, of of taking wildlife photos probably more was the biggest frustration of of, of anything else right. technically okay yeah i can vouch for all of that actually the guide that i i was working with for a couple of years who was became a, a friend sadly died but he was just phenomenal in his his vision i couldn't believe what he was seeing and he's like, oh, there's a cheetah in the grass, and the grass was really long at the time. I just couldn't see it. I could not see it. But it was like 50 meters away. And um, and then the guides help each other as well. That's really important. You know, they get on the radio to do each other if they see something, and then that's how you can get other people gathering in one spot. But, yeah, the technique becomes quite a little box of settings. It's not, you know, It has to be quite a specific technique as well. So all in all... I think it's an incredible sensory sort of human experience to have. But if you're a photographer as well, it's a great challenge and a, a great photography experience as well. So I guess we can both vouch yeah. for Safari. So it's certainly exciting. Let's jump back into landscapes then. Was it when you came back to the UK after working abroad? Was that when you really got into landscape photography then? Yeah, I think partly that. I mean, it, partly uh, I think I I find you know you you tend to get the best photos uh, of the places where you're living uh, at any given time. So you know when I've been in places where I've had more access to landscape photography opportunities. 
than wildlife, then that's tended to become more of the focus mm-hmm. uh, nat- naturally. So whether that's I've uh, spent some time in the U.S. as well and um, and, and also in the U.K. Uh, so, yeah, in both cases, I think, you know, there's more more natural landscape opportunities. And, and also just I mean, even when I was living in Kenya, if I got the opportunity to go overseas, you know, it was often wanting to head to the mountains or, you know, out into the big, wide open, beautiful landscapes of the world. That's always been something that's just drawn me. And and outside of photography, I mean, I love whether it's mountaineering or climbing or hiking or, you know, those are the things that that I enjoy. So uh, photography, I think landscape photography is kind of a natural extension of of that. And like I said earlier, you know, safaris are great, but you're sitting in a car most of the day, you know, there's... Nothing quite like being out on foot in the snow, you know, in winter and up in the Brecon Beacons or, you know, the uh, out on Sky as I was a, a month or two back in, in Scotland. I mean, it's just just for me, it's it's hard to beat. Yeah. Um, so I guess, yeah, the landscapes have become naturally more and more of a, a focus due to access and, and due to the fact that I just love it. Yeah, I think we're so lucky in the UK. I mean, I don't know how it is where you live. You live in the States, right? Um, That's right. But, yeah, I mean, here in Scotland in particular, but even I've been to the Lake District, it's it's phenomenal what we have on our doorsteps. I was wondering... Yeah, and it's... it's no, go ahead. Uh, sorry to interrupt, Graham. I was going to say, you know, it's it's relatively close in the UK. Yeah. Right? I mean, we growing up in South Wales, used to think Scotland was so far away, yeah. but... You know, you compare that to the States where, you know, it's it's uh, a five hour flight to get from one coast to the other. It, it's it, it's very accessible in the UK and you have a lot of interesting, diverse landscapes often within relatively small geographic areas. So that makes it a really, uh, I think, uh, fun and, and uh, diverse place to be a landscape photographer. Let's, you mentioned that you've just been to Scotland recently and I wanted to pick up on that because you've got some really nice pictures from this trip so um tell us about this trip was it just a landscape photography trip that you were doing um and how did you set about you know setting up your itinerary and deciding on the locations you wanted to go to yeah so actually uh, and usually it was just a photography trip i find usually i kind of add a bit of photography on top of uh, you know a family trip or travel for some other reason mm-hmm. um but in this case i i just uh, i was uh, uh, actually uh, changing roles in 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 my day job uh and uh, so i had an opportunity to take a, a short break in between um so i got about 10 days 12 days something like that uh and uh i'd just i'd been to scotland a number of times uh over the past three four years but always in the middle of summer uh for you know for family holidays or you know to to go mountaineering or whatever it might mm-hmm. be but i always wanted to go see it in the winter and i'd seen so many spectacular photos of the highlands yeah. in the snow um just the light up there and at that time of year i mean it's uh, uh it's so uh yeah uh, uh, even actually coming back to the landscape photographer of the year you know some of my favorite images were the ones from the highlands of scotland and and, and have been for for many years mm-hmm. i just love that scenery so uh, this was just a, a rare opportunity to get a few days off in January uh, to to do that, and uh, I, luckily the, the the way the flights worked out, uh, there's quite a a low cost way of going um, from the U.S. to the U.K. via Iceland. Oh, uh, so wow. I was able to add on a, a few a few days in Iceland, which again was inspired by just seeing. Uh, I mean, it's become, I think, a bit of a photography destination yeah. now, right, Iceland. But, uh, it, you know, it's hard not to be inspired by, uh, the, you know, the photos that, that you see. And, and so I just yeah, wanted another place I wanted to, to go. And, uh, and again, the, the opportunity to do it in winter uh, was, uh, uh, was was there. So uh, that's that's what motivated it. I know um, some landscape photographers I've talked to like Paul Sanders, you know, he's involved in Landscape Photographer of the Year now. Yes. He, his thing is like, well, I just go for a walk and I don't have anything in mind and I just see what nature wants to give me, that kind of thing, which I totally am laughing, but I really admire it, but I just can't really do that. I need to go, like, to a place to get a thing. Um, are you? Which way are you on, on, on that spectrum? Or are you, are you sort of having a shot in mind or are you more like, let me go and see what happens? 
Ah, so I'd say maybe somewhere between the two. I used to be much more at uh, Paul's end of the spectrum. I think I actually bought my first photography guidebook uh, only about three years ago, and that was actually the South Wales photography guidebook. And I realized even though I grew up in South Wales, there were all these spots in there that, uh, you know, I didn't know about. And and so it actually, I realized it opened up all these new opportunities. Uh, And so since then, whenever I've gone somewhere, I've made sure that uh, I I have a look if there's a decent guidebook. And and, and then, but then the key is, I think, to try not, it's very easy to see the best photos in there and then think, okay, that's what I'm going to go. That's where I'm going to go. And I'm going to try and get shots like that. I think you've got to use it as a starting point. Mm -hmm. And it's a great way to find photogenic locations. But then when you're there, figure out how to make those you know, unique and, and, and do something different. You know, if you're just going and taking the same old postcard shots, I mean, there are some views that I actually went to the old manor store when I was in Scotland. I mean, there are just, there are some views that are, are so spectacular. I'd, I'd put the team, our lighthouse on Anglesey in this category as well in North Wales that, you know, they've been photographed mm-hmm. so many times, but you still kind of want to go do it yourself at least once um, just because it's such a, it's just a photo, you know, that that's nature has made to be taken, I, I suppose. Um, but aside from those, it's, yeah. you know, I try and uh, spend most of my time just uh, looking for new opportunities and, and, and taking advantage of the conditions because it, it's, you know, it's always different, right? Where whenever you're, whenever you're there is going to be different to when other people have been there before and there may be unique opportunities that you have with the conditions you have in front of you. Yeah, I was wondering... You've given yourself a good opportunity with a great location. You get there a good time for light. So the opportunity is there. So I always wonder with landscape photographers, and my approach is quite technical, maybe, and maybe formulaic, I don't know, but I wonder how people start to build Mm. their picture. How do they start to make choices once they're in that location, once they're in the opportunity to do something good? How do you get started? Yeah, so... I mean, I don't have a, a specific technique uh, ever in mind or a specific process. I think what I try to do is focus on the reason I got the camera out of the bag at that particular point. Right? The, it, you know, what was it that, because sometimes you just go for a walk and, you know, you, the light never comes together. You know, you, you may never even get the camera out. So at least that's how it is for me. Um, so why at that mm-hmm. point is it because, you know, the the scene in front of you is the composition particularly compelling? Is the uh, is the light coming through at a, you know, hitting the mountains in a certain way and and try to make that the focus of uh, of the photograph? Um, I suppose the, the other thing I, I think about a bit is that the big challenge and I think this is maybe particularly the case with UK landscapes, is it can often be difficult to simplify them sufficiently. Uh, you know, if you have the Matterhorn in front of you or you have, you know, some of those famous scenes in the Dolomites, it's right. It's just a, it's a very easy photograph in some ways. You know, you just, you've got these big dramatic features mm-hmm. and you just kind of make sure that they're roughly cropped at, the, you know, the, the right proportions. And, and if the light's right, then you're going to get a great photo. Um, in the UK, you have much more subtle landscapes. Um, you know, even the mountains are not huge. You know, take the Brecon Beacons, which I know the best. You know, they're, they're really small rolling hills compared to, you know, what a lot of people would consider real mountains. Um, and so, you know, a lot of when I'm starting out, you know, you take photos and it be spectacular. And, and then you'd, you'd go back and you'd look at the photos and it's just kind of a jumble of different features and 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 a bit indistinct so it's figuring out how to take that landscape in front of you and simplify it sufficiently uh that it makes a compelling photograph but without simplifying it so much that it becomes overly minimalist and 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 less interesting i suppose that's what i'm always trying to do Uh, and as i was saying before you know i think there are certain places in the uk where the photograph kind of almost takes it itself it's just you know there's such a a, a compelling natural composition um but those are the photographs we've seen a lot of right so it's being able to go out into the more uh, into other places and 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 come up with uh, with photographs that you know 
that that distill the beauty um, and the drama, uh, but you know, uh, are simple enough to be you know pleasing and, and satisfying uh, to, to look at. Let's jump into the gear out. What's your sort of go-to camera body and go-to lens? Um, let's stick on landscape photography, I guess. So what would be your sort of standard camera setup that you like to use? Yeah, so uh, actually only about three or four years ago, I switched to the uh, full frame um, because for wildlife, it didn't really matter, right? You got the extra, you kind of felt like you got the extra uh, uh you know telephoto with the with the crop sensors yeah um so i didn't mind that but now yeah. with uh pretty much all my photography it's a, it's a full frame canon the 5dr uh body and then i have i think a pretty standard range of zoom lenses uh, that i use with that from 17 to 40 uh and then uh 24 to 70 and then again from 70 to 200. i'd say i use the telephoto quite a bit um particularly in the uk like we were just talking about with simplifying compositions i think when you've got you know more um gentle rolling landscapes uh sometimes the compression you get with those telephoto lens and the ability to simplify and bring out the drama i i, I find i end up using the telephoto quite a bit maybe a bit more than other photographers uh less so on the coast you know when you want the big wide angles and bring in big dramatic foregrounds but um, in the mountains i like using the telephoto quite a bit and are you a filters guy at all yes i pretty much always use a polarizer uh and then i did get into uh the uh the the art of uh of long exposures actually fairly recently i i did a great day uh with uh Lee Frost. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of Lee. Oh, yeah. He's a photographer down yeah. in Cornwall. So did a day out with him. He uh, he showed me the ropes of uh, uh, of all the uh, you know the, the the long exposure filters. So I and I do I do love that for uh, coastal photography. I think that's what motivated me when I was back in Wales for a bit. You know, having access to the coast. You know, it suddenly made me uh, want to be able to uh, use those techniques and uh, and that. So that's good fun. Um, and I use a mix of Lee and uh, and format high tech filters for for that. So yeah, you, there's a lovely shot of yours from Iceland. I'm not going to try and see it, but I think it's something like Easthorn, and um, it's got that maybe one or two second play with the water coming in the foreground, with the wave coming in or out. Um, Great. So I'm glad you saw that one. That 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 I find tricky. You know, I think some people are very good at that. Those short. The short long exposures uh yeah. hard they're hard to get right and I, I i think you know i rarely do uh so i'm i'm glad you felt like that one came together yeah i that's right up my street i love that kind of thing so um okay let's go ahead to the next round this is called double exposure and i'm going to ask you for the story behind one of your photos that i really like and then i'll bounce it back to you to tell me about one that you really like Okay, let's let's go with this shot of the old man of Stor from your recent Scotland trip. This is a, I think there's a great story here. It's a great location. Do you want to tell us the story behind that shot? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I was lucky to get there. It had snowed quite a bit, and ironically, I'd, I'd mentioned I'd been to Iceland and Scotland, and I thought, you know, I was being sensible and got a, a four-wheel drive uh, for Iceland and. Of course, you know, didn't didn't see didn't see any snow on the road once, and then I get to Scotland and yeah. get the cheapest hire car I could find, and then you know it snows uh, pretty much every night, and uh, <laughs> so so just getting my car to the uh, to somewhere near the parking lot was uh, was the first challenge because there'd been a pretty decent fresh dusting of snow as you know you've seen from mm -hmm. the photo, uh, and then it was uh, it was quite a wind. Uh, I don't remember what it was gusting up to, but 30, 40 miles an hour, so. Uh, it's certainly not a day for the tripod, actually. That and I got a little video uh, that I I think I put it on Instagram that that gives you a sense yeah. of the the wind that came with that photo. Uh, uh, it was, but it was dramatic because it, what it meant was that the light was changing every few seconds. These clouds were blowing across, and and the wind, the snow was whipping up with the wind, and sometimes the light was coming through and and hitting, you know, hitting the snow that was blowing up around, you know, the 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 old manor store. So uh, for me, it you know it added a, an extra dimension and and maybe at least a slightly. I don't think you can take it. You, uh, 
uh, difficult to take a unique photo of, of that uh, that view because mm-hmm. it's been photographed so much. But uh, at least for me, you know, being up there that morning and uh, and it was uh, it was midweek January, uh, you know, eight in the morning or whatever time the sun came mm-hmm. up and uh, 30 mile an hour wind. So let's just say there weren't a lot of other tourists around uh uh, at that yeah. time so you know if you ever ha- could get the old man of store to yourself that was probably the one of the mornings for it so pretty pretty magic hey but your experience with hill walking or hiking anyway so there was no bother for you to get up there no i did have uh i had the spikes uh which i'd uh, discovered okay. actually just from even from the Brecon beacons in uh in winter can be can be really useful um so they're kind right. of uh, like the pullover crampons almost that that go on your boots and then a, a, a set of poles uh, certainly came in, came in useful. But okay. with that, I, I felt pretty, pretty comfortable. Okay. It's, what could you say about Sky? Isn't it just the most amazing place? It is actually. I first went in the uh, to do the Coolin Ridge uh, in end of May, um, and wow. you know it was, which was an, uh, another amazing experience. Um, and you know, kind of fell in love with it. Then it's. It's pretty. It almost kind of was surprising how how rocky and almost I don't want to say bleak because that's a bit unfair. But compared to how green you know the West Coast is that time of year, then you get onto Sky and it's yeah. particularly the Cooling Ridge. I mean, it's just all rocks. It's you know it's like something out of Lord of the Rings at times. Uh, uh, so it's it's very very different, uh, but incredibly photogenic because because of that and and just because the weather changes so quickly mm-hmm. there. Um, yeah, so, uh, I mean, I think justifiably a, a very popular spot for, for photographers. Yeah, I mean, if, if you weren't a photographer, bleak might be the right word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but, uh, incredible place. And... Yeah. But I'd love to get to Harris too. I've not, uh, I was hoping this trip, but, you know, and again, with 30 mile an hour winds, uh, getting on ferries was, was, was not, uh, not easy, but yeah, uh, I guess sky is also the more, the more accessible of the, the bigger, islands but uh, plenty more to yeah. explore it's different harris is different than sky i mm. was used to sky and when i went to harris i was ex- kind of expecting similar but it really is a different place so yeah hope you can discover that next next time yeah let me throw it back to you then will is there a favorite picture or just a great memory from your photography journey that you could share mm, so i hadn't prepared for this one but uh i think that one of the most recent photos that I one I really like is uh it's a shot of it's another one from the Brecon Beacons but uh this time after really heavy snowfall uh and it's a shot where I actually put myself in in the photo um because they you were talking earlier about you know need for foregrounds and and occasionally I think if you can't find one you just use yourself uh, that's a maybe a lazy mm-hmm. technique but it can be can be quite effective um, and this was a, again a telephoto uh, shot, which we, we've talked about, um, about 200 mil, uh, taken from uh, Manivlan Gorse, which has this beautiful view right towards Penivan, which is the highest uh, peak in the Brecon Beacons. And everything was covered in fresh snow, and then you had mist down in the valley. So it was. It's one of those shots which, on many days, would be pretty bland, and, and you know, there'd just be too much in the image. But with that combination of snow and the mist um, and then putting a person kind of some somewhere in the mid distance, uh, I mean, it just I, I show people this image and tell them it's whales. And, you know, people uh, sometimes don't, you know, don't believe it because uh, it really, you know, it, it, it's uh, uh, it kind of it's it's uh, for me, it's one of the most uh, unique photos I've taken of uh, of South Wales. Um, I could talk about yeah. some some wildlife photos as well, but uh, let me let me stick with that one for now. Yeah, this is great. So it's um, you're in a silhouette on the sort of left side, on the sort of ridge of snow. It looks like almost you're on a cliff, and the sun is just in the distance in the middle with the mist going. No, through, actually, right? that's also, but that's also almost the same spot. Uh, oh, but okay. Yeah, that's I like I like that photo as well. No, that this one is. Oh, okay. uh, this one is actually the sun's coming from the side, so it's not in not in the photo. Um, uh, and it's, uh, it's more of a blue kind of. Yeah, image. exactly. It's a very blue, very blue image. Okay. Uh, with just the okay. mist down in the valley beneath me. And again, I think it was just one of those mornings where you're just very glad to be uh, 
uh, in you know someone to be someone like that is just you know such a, a wonderful feeling, and then to be able to capture it somewhat you know in uh, in a photograph so you can remember it is uh, you know it'll always be uh, it'll always be a, a special morning. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Well, if you want to pick a, a wildlife one as well, let's go for it. Yeah, so I think one of my favorites is uh, there's a, a photograph again of the Maasai Mara. Uh, with there's four cubs. I don't know if you've gone through the wildlife section on on my website, but it's yeah. just a, a mother with four cubs, um, and it's one of those photos which you know you kind of always dream, you know, you might once get everything coming together like that. Uh, mm. But you know, to have it's it's you know, the the mother is licking uh, or cleaning one of the one of the cubs, and then. The other one's kind of asleep next to her, and then one of them's kind of roaring from the side, and it's just such a, yeah. a, a magical family scene. I remember when I drove up, but just it was along a little river, and I, I spotted the other lovely thing about that photo. I was just by myself, and I, I although I was talking earlier about the value of you know, having guides with you, and uh, every now and then, if you do find something when you're, it's just you and there's not another car around. Uh, and yeah. you know to, to have that experience and and then I flicked through my photos afterwards and realized that you know I'd got one that uh, that was a, a little bit special um, that was mm-hmm. a, and it was quite early on it was when I was really learning um, you know it was quite quite soon after I'd moved to Kenya and um, still had some uh, some pretty rusty old equipment back then so you know goes to show I guess you you know you can still get good photos if, if you get lucky even with basic equipment um, so that you know that that's another one that I've always had. Uh, it's actually up in one of the kids' rooms at the moment. Uh, I've always had it on the wall somewhere, and uh, it's a very happy memory of uh, Kenya days. I think you know, put yourself in the right place at the right time is, is half the battle for sure. So, yeah, really, Absolutely. really nice. And and I touched on it there, but great experiences to be out there in the world, witnessing these amazing things, and being able to take pictures. We're lucky men. Couldn't agree more. Okay, let's go to the final round. Just the quick fire round, which I call motor drive. Um, so, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay, wide angle or telephoto? Telephoto. Color or black and white? Ooh, color. Expensive lens or the corner of your shirt? <laughs> I'm not sure I fully understand that one, so I'm going to go with expensive lens. Hopefully someone okay. else is oh, paying. I messed up the question. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> expensive lens expensive lens cloth or the corner of your shirt. That makes more sense. Oh, oh, corner of my shirt's fine. Okay. <laughs> anyway, it's the 54th time I've asked that question, so <laughs> I'm slightly on autopilot. Um, what's a weird thing I could find in your camera bag? Probably, uh, um, well, I, it doubles up as, you know, a flight bag, so you'll probably find, you know, earplugs and uh eye mask and you know maybe a few uh, covid masks left over from covid travel days uh that i haven't yeah. bothered clearing out yet so that's probably about okay. as weird as it would get you're getting so good at photography you can just have an eye mask on and do it at the same time like a Jedi. <laughs> um okay is there a favorite photographer or one photographer we could all find out about Oh, one favorite photographer. I think I'd probably have to say Jimmy Chin, um, just because oh, okay. of the combination of the photography ability and the climbing ability. I like I said, I like mm. climbing. Um, probably safe to say I'm a better photographer than I am climber. But someone who can, you know, excel at his level at both is, uh, I think, pretty remarkable. I mean, I have to ask the the question that everybody asks: Have you seen Free Solo? <laughs> several times yeah isn't it amazing yeah. my daughter's into climbing and just now she's she's six you're about to turn seven yeah and, ter- um, terrifying but uh remarkable and and just so beautifully shot i mean the the obviously the achievement the climbing achievement is remarkable but you know the the, the way that for me just makes me want to go to yosemite tomorrow is i think a testament yeah. to the quality of the the photography or the cinematography that came yeah, with and the the tension just builds and builds and builds. It's just a quite an amazing film. Yeah. What's your favorite Welsh band or musician? Well, it's I'd probably say the Stereophonics, just because it was at that time in my life when you know, 
there was uh it was a particularly great era of welsh pop music that's probably not the right expression mm-hmm. but uh yeah that's they're probably the the one i have okay. uh, most memories of and was able to see live once or twice by working the bars okay. at music festivals so even got to do it oh, and get cool. paid for it nice i can <laughs> go with that then okay and last question when do you feel at peace with the universe oh probably most at peace when i'm high up a mountain in early in the morning and there's not really many people around and you know, the the light's perfect that's all i need great brilliant thank you so much will i've really enjoyed this this has been great um thanks for your time appreciate it no thanks to you graham really enjoyed it thanks for inviting me thanks so much for listening guys follow will on instagram and go to his website to see his fantastic photography links to everything we spoke about are in the show notes if you enjoyed this episode then check out my conversations with kai hornung julia reddell mark pickering paul sanders and wendy bagnall you can find them all on the viewfinders website That's it. Take care. Enjoy your photography. I'll see you out there.